this is Don Bluth, and you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Episode 22, Coraline. Don't doubt the dowser. Welcome to the other Animation Addicts podcast with the other rotoscopers. Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your other hosts. Morgan Stradling. And I'm Chelsea Robson. And I'm Mason Smith. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm so happy today. Wow. It's just a great day. It's a Monday, Chelsea. Do you know that? I know. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still a great day. It's podcast day. (laughs) What about you, Mason? Yeah, podcast day. Uh, I'm good. Starting out a great week and ready to get this episode going. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. We, for those of you who don't know and missed our intro where we mentioned the title of the episode, we're going to be covering Laika's Coraline today. So we have lots of good things to talk about that. But first, in case you guys haven't noticed, we have a name change. We are now known as the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. And uh, this is just kind of give a bit more clarification about what the actual podcast is, who we are, what we're here, what we talk about. So we are addicts to animation. <laughs> Yay. And our collective name is the Rotoscopers. So we decided we really wanted to keep the Rotoscopers name because we, we really sort of defined ourselves as that. But the show, this particular show, is going to be called the Animation Addicts Podcast. And who knows, if the Rotoscopers wanted to do a general movies podcast, you know, we could do that. But we, we're we're just sticking. Don't, don't uh, you know. Don't be waiting on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we're really excited for the Animation Addicts podcast. Tell your friends. We're still the same show. Nothing will change except for the name, mostly. Marching around the boot of Europe, aka Italy. <laughs> Italy. <laughs> wow, that is that sounds so un unrefined. Not unrefined, but <laughs> Italians are like uh, another boot reference. Um, the 13th International Computer Graphics Concert is going to be held October 16th through the 19th. It looks really cool. From what we can see on the press release, you've got a lot of directors out there. Uh, Director Tartakovsky from Hotel Transylvania. He'll be speaking as well as Eric Darnell from Madagascar 3, uh, Pixar's Mark Walsh, and just a lot of really cool things. They're also going to be putting on, for the first time, a creative boot camp. You know, it's like an interactive multi-day workshop for anybody who wants to participate and refine their skills in the computer graphics arena. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we we try to give you news about upcoming conferences and festivals. And so this is one of them. So anyone who's, you know, maybe traveling or lives there, this seems like a fun one. There's a lot of big studios that are represented. So um, definitely take advantage of it if you're there. Sounds like a blast. I would love to go to Italy. Oh, yeah. Too bad we didn't get free press passes for this. Seriously. And plane tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
Also, you know what? The time is running low on the year. You know, we're in October now. Yes. My goodness, how time flies. Mm -hmm. We started this podcast in February of 2012, and we are going to be putting together a best of 2012 show. And we need your help. A lot of it. You know, we've done over, you know, right now we're at 20 plus episodes. And so we'd like to know which episodes have been your favorites, which episodes or which parts of different episodes have been your favorite moments. And you're going to help plan this show. You're going to help us know what are the best parts of the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers. You can email us at therotoscopers at gmail.com and you can tell us your favorite episode and make sure to put in the episode number the time or place wherever your favorite moment or moments are, and then also a little snippet of what is said there. And also, we're giving you guys the chance to be on the show. Ooh. I know, right? Honorary rotoscoper. I know. For all of you guys who have been, you know, we've gotten a lot of emails out of people like, hey, I'd like to be on the show. Hey, I'd like to, if you ever need anybody else on there to help out. Well, this is your chance to be a part of the Animation Addicts podcast with the rotoscopers. All you have to do is just do a voice recording of yourself saying your favorite moment or what you love about the show or anything along those lines and send it to us at therotoscopers at gmail.com. You you can also do the intro or even an audible plug, whatever you'd like, however you would like to get on the show. This is our listener show. This is for you. So make sure to give us a holler and tell us what you think. Yeah, actually, one of our fans, Gary Wright, he, on his blog, composed a list of 10, his top 10 favorite Rotoscopers moments of the year. And so, that's a good starting place for us. So, thanks, what? Gary. That's awesome. I know. Isn't that so cool? And, like, I have Where a Where can few. I find that? Um, his blog is imgarywright.blogspot.in because he's from India. So, just go there. It's one of his more recent posts in September. You can see his top 10 Rotoscopers moments. And if, hey, if you agree or disagree with those send them to us let us know i definitely have some favorites where i'm like okay this has to be on here you know even even some bloopers maybe you thought were funny or just moments that you really liked or discussions you thought were really awesome send them in because you know december is that is fastly approaching it fastly december is quickly approaching us yeah it is Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a pal of mine. She's as cute as a button in the eyes of everyone who ever laid their eyes on Coraline. When she comes around exploring mom and I will never ever make it boring. Our eyes will be on Coraline. Okay, so today, instead of doing a nerdy couch discussion or an animation principle by Mason, we are going to introduce a new segment. We kind of had a very, a very, uh, you know, beta version of this in our interview with uh, both our interviews with Chris Horn and David Vanderbort. But I have a, a more updated version, so we are going to do this. It's a new game or segment called Catch and Fire. You know, which is a reference to um, Swan Princess. Swan Princess. 
I actually took this game from another podcast. They called it Extreme Speed, which uh, did, had no relation to animation at all. But Catch and Fire, you know, in Swan Princess, there's this game where Derek has to... Uh, He has to catch catch an arrow that's being shot at him and shoot it back really quickly and and hit an apple that's on someone's head. So it's just a rapid-fire game, and that's what this is. So, Mason, you are our first catch-and-fire contestant. How do you feel? (laughs) Awesome. So, essentially, this is just a... Um, it's just kind of a get-to-know-you segment. We're going to do them for each one of us, but just random questions. Uh, obviously, maybe the questions will change or modify or grow, but this is the initial initial version. So, Mason, are you ready? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. I don't okay. think I... Okay. Okay. Okay, first question. First animated movie you remember seeing? Peter Pan. Favorite cartoon growing up? Uh, SpongeBob. Favorite animated movie? Oh man! Uh, right now it's Rango. Ooh, cool! And if you re- if you want to elaborate, you can on some of them. Um, okay, favorite animator or artist? Favorite an- animator or artist? Uh, don't have one. Okay, classic animation or CGI? Um, classic animation. Disney or Pixar? Uh, Pixar. Leica or DreamWorks? Um, DreamWorks. Ooh. Disneyland or Disney World? Disneyland or Disney World? Um, oh, dang it. Well, I like Disney World better. Although my dad would kill me for saying that. <laughs> princesses or princes? Princesses or princess? Uh, princesses, duh. Good choice. All right. Stitch or Tinkerbell? Oh, equally annoying. Um, exactly why I picked this one. I'm forcing uh, you to choose. Tinkerbell. Ooh, good choice. Um... People or anthropomorphic? Anthropomorphic. Oh, I like I like the the animals that talk. Awesome. <laughs> yes. <I> mean, <laughs> okay. Phase two, we're going to change it to animals that talk. <laughs> okay. In an animated movie, songs or no songs? Uh, no songs. No songs. Who would win in a fight, King Fergus or Stoic the Vast? And you may explain on this. Well, I'm sure Chris Horn would disagree, but I think Stoic the Vast would win because he's just a lot more like combat prone than than fergus plus stoic is not afraid to he doesn't let his i don't know he doesn't really let emotions get in the way i don't know it'd be pretty evenly matched it'd be better if they teamed up instead of fought each other but if you're gonna have to have them fight each other i think stoic would win gotcha okay the movie snow white or sleeping beauty um oh that's a hard one snow white tiana or mulan um, definitely Mulan, because she knows how to fight. Uh, you, you fight good. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen, have you seen that? It's like on everyone's Pinterest where it like shows scenes from all the Disney movies and all the romantic things oh, that the yeah. princes have said. And at the very end, it, it just has, um, Chan going, uh, you fight good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's so funny. <laughs> Okay, Miko or Flit? Who? Miko or Flit from Pocahontas? Oh, Flit's the hummingbird, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more of a Miko fan. I like raccoons. Uh, summer release or winter release? Summer release or winter release? Um, I like summer releases, yeah. Okay. Rasputin or Dr. Facilier? <laughs> Dr. Facilier. Rasputin's kind of pathetic. <laughs> 
I tried to pick two semi-pathetic villains, but maybe <laughs> maybe no one can come to Rasputin's level. <laughs> and lastly, here's the big toughie. Return of Jafar or Cinderella 2? Ooh, Return of Jafar. Oh, gosh. Cringe. Do I have to choose one of them? You must. This is the one that we're going to make everyone on our podcast. First, they'll cringe, and then they must choose. Um... <laughs> Let's see. Well, let's do. Uh, let's do Return of Jafar. But it's it's hor- It's oh. not. Oh. <laughs> it's like oh, don't <laughs> don't make me do this. <laughs> It's like the Simpsons. There's a Simpsons quote where Homer goes over to Apu's house and he's like, Homer, what is your favorite Indian pop singer? And Homer's like, oh, don't make me choose. (laughs) (laughs) So. Awesome. Okay, so that is Catch and Fire. How did you like our very first attempt, everybody? Oh, I liked it. I was really nervous at first. Oh, sorry. I guess you, I should have prepped you and shown you the questions, but that's what have made it less fun. Yeah, this is more fun. So, <laughs> I liked it a lot. You kind of get an insight about people and then you force them to pick you. It's kind of like when you're taking a survey and it's not rated one through five, it's just one through four. So you can never pick a middle ground. Yeah, true. I'm like, oh, but I don't want to choose. But that's what we make you do. Rotoscopers make people choose. So we will add to this. We will, you know, maybe get rid of some of the questions, add better ones, different ones, more. If you have any questions, oh, I'm afraid, but do it, do it. Yeah, if you have a, a one you want us to put into the Catch and Fire mix, let us know and we will add it in if it's good or worth it. Editor has full discretion. <laughs> So pop quiz, what month is it? It's October. It's it is October. It is it is going well. Yeah, it is definitely October. <laughs> and what, what do we celebrate in October, ladies? Fall. Uh, National Grandparents Day. Oh my gosh! Get out of here! Come on, what do we celebrate? That's fun in October. Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> Take it away, Mason. Since this is October, is your month. Dude, I love October. Starting today with Coraline, we're going to be having our October oh, Halloween movie spooktacular. I know. <laughs> so, you know what we should do? We should just do a video of us doing Thriller. <laughs> That's scary enough. I know that would be scary enough. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited about this. And like I said, we're gonna we're gonna start with Coraline. Hopefully, get to do more awesome Halloween movies for this month. So strap yourselves in, boys. It's gonna be awesome. Another episode of this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. With over 100,000 titles to choose from, it is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. One of those audiobooks is Neil Gaiman's Coraline. In Coraline's family's new flat, there are 21 windows and 14 doors. 
13 of those doors open and close. The 14th door is locked, and on the other side is only a brick wall. Until the day Coraline unlocks the door to find a passage to another flat in another house, just like her own. Only it's different. At first, things seem marvelous in the other flat. The food is better, the toy box is filled up with wind-up angels that flutter around the bedroom. But there's another mother, and another father. And they want Coraline to stay with them, and be their little girl. They want to change her, and never let her go. Other children are trapped there as well, lost souls behind the mirrors. Coraline is their only hope of rescue. She will have to fight with all of her wits if she is to save the lost children, her ordinary life, and herself. Narrated by the author, Coraline is a creepy, fun addition to your October library. Because you are a fan of the Rotoscopers, Audible.com is offering you a free audiobook with a 30-day, no-strings-attached trial. Just go to the Rotoscopers website and click on the link to Audible.com. Or you can type in audibletrial.com backslash the Rotoscopers for your free, creepy audiobook. Today, our first spooky movie we are covering is Leica Studios' Coraline. This was released February 6, 2009, and directed by Henry Selick, who also has gone on to direct other things. He's very much known for his stop-motion animation. He worked on um, some, some Burton things in the past, but... Very good director. Like we said, it's directed by Leica. And I'm just going to give you a little mini studio highlight because, yeah, we, we've kind of talked about Paranorman, but we haven't really talked about the studio. So Leica is an animation studio that produces features and shorts, but the key characteristic is they're not CGI, they're not hand-drawn, is that they are stop-motion. And, you know, so they kind of started, um, their very first film was in 2009, which is Coraline. They've done commercials and other sort of short things before that. But Coraline was really like their big debut into the feature film. And, and then Paranorman was the next one right after that. So Like is currently in production at the Hillsborough Studio in Oregon. It used to be a studio called Will Vinton Studios in the late 1990s. They did a lot of commercials and stop motion stuff, but they kind of needed more funding. They were bought by Phil Knight, who used to be one of the CEOs and, and the management team at Nike. So he kind of went on, and then eventually this studio formed into Leica as we know it today. So he's at the head of the studio. His son actually started as an animator there and now kind of has taken on bigger roles. They actually have two things, and this is what I didn't know. I was always confused about what Leica and Leica backslash house is. And so Leica Entertainment is kind of their feature film section, and Leica House is for, like, its commercial work. So that's kind of the difference between the two things. So music videos, advertisements, okay. that's what like a house does. So now you know. They did have another film in the works, which was called Jack and Ben's Animated Adventure. But that, you know, got cut, and there was a significant amount of layoffs in 2008. And, yes, I remember 2008. It was not that good of a year. So Ooh, no, I feel you guys who got cut from that film. But, yeah, it, like really with Coraline, they kind of made a splash and became very successful and were able to, you know, keep going. And then they, you know, did Paranorman. So they've stuck with the theme of kind of making these spookier stop-motion films. But, yeah, so that's just my little intro into Leica and who they are. They're, you know, an up-and-coming studio that has a lot of potential. 
And um, I like all their work. Yeah, totally. I think something that tripped me up is that um, they advertise this film as being by the creator of Nightmare Before Christmas. And I was like, okay, sweet, Tim Burton. But it's not actually Tim Burton. Um, With Nightmare Before Christmas, Tim Burton produced and co-wrote it. And so, yeah, so this is Henry Selleck. And I was super pleased with it. I was expecting Tim Burton, and I got something completely different. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right, Morgan. This movie really made a splash, and Laika is like definitely one of those up-and-comers. Yeah, I think it's funny that you mentioned that they advertise the makers of Nightmare Before Christmas because Tim Burton is who you think of, yeah. right? Like immediately. And so I think it's sort of a false, and you know they did. false you know advertising they did in a way, like, right? That was the whole yeah. Idea. Yeah, but uh, it's Henry Selleck, and he was a big part of it. I think he was one of the co-directors on that movie. But which kind you know, of, it's kind of legitimate, but at the same time, kind of forgotten when you know Tim Burton is yeah. at the head of it. So, but let's talk about Coraline. So, Coraline, the budget for the film was sixty million. Opening wow, weekend, it's not even a lot. No, no. I mean, even for what four years ago, it was still that's not much at all. Opening weekend, it made $16.85 million. A movie analyst said that, you know, Laika should be really pleased if it made $10 million on its opening weekend. So this is really good. It made about equivalent to a little more than Curse the Were-Rabbit. So very successful for a new studio, you know, oh, their yeah. first film. And it went on to gross $124.6 million worldwide. So very much a, a success and hit for them. They doubled their money. So that is always good. Yes. That is the goal so in a lot of times. Just to, we can double our money. We'll be good. That'd be <laughs> Especially awesome. when it's in the millions range. Oh, yeah. That's a great ROI. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, this movie was made in Oregon. The production was in a 140,000 square foot warehouse, divided into 50 lots. And then within those 50 lots were 150 sets. Uh, about 455 people worked on the film. So... It's a big production, man. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, you know, talk about big. This movie was an hour and 40 minutes long. And as of 2009, it was the longest stop motion film to date. I don't know if it, I don't know if Paranorman or some of these other stop motion films kind of uh, pushed it out of that category, but it is quite long. And they went to a lot of work in this film. Like it was, gosh, it's such a cool film. Yeah. Very ambitious to do that. I think what makes this film are the characters. Definitely. I think Laika did a really great job with all the colors and just the enti- all the environments that they use, all these sets and all these everything was just very meticulous. So many details and it, everything I believe was just so rich and imaginative. That's one of the main things that I got out of just the whole view of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And color is a, a is a big deal in this movie. Definitely, I like how they kind of they kind of contrast what's going on. Notably, you have Coraline, who's kind of, they kind of dress her up in kind of the three primary colors, yellow, red, and blue. Mm -hmm. And it really contrasts with her surrounding environment in the beginning of the film. They really put a lot of thought into the whole color and just the overall design of this film. Yeah, and, you know, they set the mood very quickly. In the very beginning, it's this dark and eerie world that she lives in. She's just moved in this new house, but it's, like, not a fun place where a kid would want to live. You know, it seems (laughs) to be fall. Things are dying. It's dark. You know, there's that scene in the beginning where she's playing around with her dousing rod, and then she's running away, and it kind of gets really spooky. And then there's the mysterious guy, you know, with the mask who starts riding at her in the motorcycle. Like, it definitely sets this tone that this isn't going to be fun and happy the whole time and it really from from that moment on you you are you kind of put in this scary world and expecting scary things yeah totally 
man, I just love Coraline, the the character. Like they really created something unique here with with her character, like from the design to the voice and everything. Yeah, you, you mean Coraline, the Michigan Water Witch? <laughs> yeah. So, hey, yeah. So, what was up with the whole Water Witch thing? Like, was I just supposed to know what a dowsing rod was before this film? Because I was like, what is that girl doing? Yeah, I, think, I guess that's not a big point where they explain it. I was familiar with it, what a dowsing rod was, because uh, I read about it, but then later I played uh, a, a Zelda game where you have to douse <laughs> and to find things. It's Dowsing rods are kind of ways to uncover objects and find things. So, oh, sheesh. She's looking for water. So I don't know where she heard about this mysterious well, but she's trying to find the well. And, um, yeah. I know, it's so weird. Like, you don't really explain, witch. like, okay, what's with the well? Mm-hmm. And why is, what, what, why is she a witch? What? <laughs> and they never really, not, she's not a witch, but she's, like, using the dowsing rod and whatever, but they never really, like, explain, like, why. It doesn't really have a use in the film, except to get her to the well, you exactly. know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. It just kind of establishes kind of this quirky character into, I mean, she's an only child, and her parents are very, uh, unattentive, so yeah. she has to, Well, you never see that in an animated film. (laughs) A dowsing rod is actually an old Indian or pioneer trick. Apparently, (laughs) it's a detached tree limb with two shoots that act as handles that inevitably pull you to water. Oh, so So, to help you find water. Yeah, that's normally what they would use it for. I I have my doubts. (laughs) I'll be honest. I have my (laughs) doubts. Wait, so you have douse doubts, Chelsea? (laughs) Yes, apparently I do. I do have my doubts. (laughs) My douse doubts. You doubt the douse? (laughs) Awesome. Uh, And we have our title. (laughs) Oh, yeah, don't doubt the douse. Um, <laughs> how do you? How does one douse anyway? Anyway, I don't know. I, I'm going to try to move on from the whole water witch thing. But um, Coraline is cute. Like she's like cool. Like she's got her flaws, obviously. But like I just love they really establish her character with these amazing expressive emotions. The whole animation for her is so well done. It's not like in the first Wallace and Gromit movie where, or, you know, short where Wallace is basically like a talking head, you know? Like, if she's sad, she's going to use her whole body to express it, or she's like frustrated, you know, or, or she's bored. And, um, she's definitely my favorite character in this film, hands down, just because they really like made like a really cool character that you see yourself in. But at the same time, it's really entertaining to watch her. Yeah, Dakota Fanning actually was the voice of Coraline, and I think she does a wonderful job. She has just, like, this really uh, rich voice for a young person, and she's very expressive, and I think she's, like, one of the stars and gems of our generation. I mean, she's been good since she was four. Yeah, yeah I know. She's like, good. <laughs> so uh, they definitely got a very um, accomplished actress to pull her off, and, and I think she does a great job, you know, being expressive with Coraline and how she's feeling. Although I must say, it must really stink to have a name like Coraline, you know, that everybody gets wrong. So, like, note to self, everybody <laughs> and listeners, don't name your kid, like, a weird name that's a very vari- variation of a real name that's very oh. familiar, like Caroline, you know, where you're just switching two letters around because people will always mix it up. Your kid's going to get really annoyed all the time and correct everybody. They're going to grow up with a bad attitude and bad self-esteem. 
<laughs> then they're going to end up being unproductive to society as a result and probably end up in jail. Oh, my gosh. And it Definitely. will be your fault. It's the only way. <laughs> I know. It, it's like if you had a son and named him Sue. Oh. You know, terrible. So, okay, so there's Coraline, and then she quickly meets this boy, YB. What a weird little boy. Yes. Um, you know, he's not found in the original book. You all know that Coraline is based on the book, right? I do, but I haven't read it. Have you? I haven't. I would like uh, to. I haven't, I haven't read it either. I had never heard of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a novel, and it, everybody says that it stayed pretty well close to the book. Uh, but YB was not in it. Um, so I don't know how it was in the book. Maybe Coraline narrated it herself. But they, uh, before introducing YB, they thought about, in this film, having Coraline narrate the film or have her, like, talk to the camera, you know, Malcolm in the Middle style. But um, they decided to give her a character that she could, like, more on her level, that she could talk to and have kind of like a friend character. And so they introduced YB. And so I think that was good. I'd rather have the annoying, you know, buddy character than to have Coraline talk to herself or or to the viewer. And it also made for some kind of disturbing kind of like backwards stuff when YB is found in the in the other world. And so I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, she does not treat him very nice. And that was kind of sad. (laughs) You know, he's just trying to be her friend. And he is kind of this like kind of weird kid who's. Stalker kid. Mm-hmm. But I mean, kind of was like, huh, turn me off to Coraline at the beginning. I was like, why did you be so mean to this kid? Yeah, but at the same time, his design was just different. I didn't know what I should make of it. I mean, should I like him? Should I agree with Coraline and, and think he's annoying? I don't know. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, he's not like the prettiest kid to look at. Like, <laughs> for one, his like head is like perpetually cocked to the side at a 90 degree angle it's like the dog that's like when he hears a random noise and he looks at you like huh <laughs> yeah he's kind of funny he like wants her to like photograph him finding slugs and stuff slugzilla that was random it was random um can i tell you a story that i actually met like a real life yb I was I was waiting in line. Okay, first we have a, a real life no face in your life, and now we have a real life YB. I'm just drawn to these real life animated characters. Okay, I'm not even kidding. So I was at, in line waiting for um, an advanced screening of a movie, and there were these hardcore Typical. advanced screening people who they go to like Monday through Thursday. All they do is they wait in line for four hours and they go see a movie. And I'm like, okay, by that point, I'm willing just to spend the money and not wait in line all that time. But that's just me. So anyways, there's this kid there. His mom went away and he was just sitting and he was, you know, into his Game Boy and reading his comic books or whatever. So Good you know, man. take what you will. And and I kept looking at him. He had this curly hair on top. He was kind of uh, you know, not not thin, not fat, you know, just, just normal. And he had these gloves on that had skeleton hands. And I'm like, this kid reminds me of somebody. And I and then figure, I figured it out. I was like, oh my gosh, he is exactly like YB in Coraline because YB wears gloves that have skeleton hands on them, and he has curly hair. And I was just, I was shocked that I had met this kid. I wanted to tell him, but I couldn't remember YB's name. And I was like, maybe he'll be offended. So let's we'll keep this to ourselves. How old was this kid? This kid was like 14, 15. Yeah, it was funny. It's like, wow. I, I mean, coincidentally, you're wearing the same gloves. I just like couldn't get over that. <laughs> Did he always have a continual cocked head toward you? Uh, no, but he was really annoying and tried to talk to me for like an hour and a half straight and wouldn't even let me say a thing. And you're couldn't, Coraline. And couldn't get, yes, I couldn't get the hint when I wanted to like be alone. Oh my gosh, I totally Coraline. Huh? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's great. 
Okay, so next thing is we're kind of introduced to Coraline's parents. They oh, are editors shoot. of a garden catalog, you know, stay-at-home and work-from-home types. You know, it's so sad. They're glued to their computers. They don't actually do what they write about. You know, they're talking about, you know, how to be better gardeners and, and this, this, and that. But they don't actually go out and garden. His dad is an example of, of being a hypocrite where his answering machine is, I'm digging in the garden right now, but leave a message and I'll gar- get right back to you. It's like, that's so not true. Yeah. Like, he probably hasn't dug in the garden for like two years. But so that's kind of like her home situation. She just has these these parents that are very unattentive and uh, dismissive to her and just kind of like, oh, yeah, open a can of beans and make some lunch or whatever. So like, seriously, what does the mom say with, when she opens? the fridge and all she sees is like nothing oh yeah i have this written she's like oh she's like how do you feel about a mustard ketchup and salsa wrap for lunch (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh that's hilarious there's a little bit of humor in this film but it's 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 good like it's good stuff i think they drizzle in enough good humor to kind of make you appreciate it a little bit more Mm mm-hmm because like this movie is so sinister, uh, I can t- I'm going to take what I can get. But that's good commentary that they do in this film. Like they're really effective with showing how like mundane and, and dull the stay at home computer business life can be. And um, yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> the, the mom's like super mean to Coraline. Oh yeah. Like she's like really mean. Like she's just flat out rude, and she's like, "Uh, don't talk to me right now, or go away, or if I do this for you, will you not bug me for the rest of the day?" Like <laughs> yeah. I was watching this with my girlfriend last night, and she was like, "Well, she's acting more like a older sister than a mom." Yeah, I, I was like, "You know, you're too. right." And so I didn't really like where they took the real mom's character, but um, I mean, they they did good for the contrast that they show in the middle of the film. Oh yeah, definitely. So the mom's kind of an iconic character in this film because in the middle of the film, Coraline goes to the portal or, or whatever, the little tunnel. She meets the, the other mother. Dude, I love the scene where she first meets her. <laughs> I'm your other mother. <laughs> I'm your other mother, you. silly. Like, how creepy is that? What? Well, Coraline no, like she doesn't... turns around and she has buttons for eyes. I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but the other mother is, you know, so you have real mom who's very into her work and mean and not very uh, nice to Coraline. And then, you know, imagine if you're a child and you have that and you're living in this environment, which I'm sure lots of pe- lots of children do. And then you go into this alternate reality and there's this perfect mom, you know, I, I, this mom was kind of very sexy in a way with her perfect hair and her little mole and her red lipstick. So, um, it's definitely appealing to Coraline at first, like, Oh wow, I'm getting attention. They love me. They made food. It's like Stepford Wives type thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. She's really creepy, but at the same time, like, on the surface, you want to love her because she's so idealized, you know? Yeah. She's very attractive. She's not, like, totally creepy at first, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it gets slowly, it, she gets slowly more, more sinister. Yeah, and I love as she kind of... Like, at first, this this is, like, the picture-perfect version of Other Mother. And then slowly, kind of, like, her facade starts falling and changing. And then she becomes taller and more angular. And, like, her mole gets bigger and less perfect. And then she just Sickly gets looking. really mean and sinister. Yeah. You know, which is to kind of prove, like, this, this fantasy world can't last forever. And it's actually not as good as it seems. So yeah, totally. So, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's move on to the dad. You know, the guy looks kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, I saw him for the first time. I was like, what? <laughs> He's got these, like, kind of puppet-like movements. Even in the real world, you know, his, like, head is, like, he, like, swings around and, like, looks at her. And, um... I just like that goofy song that he sings for Coraline when he's serving her dinner, like in the real world. I love that part. It's really funny. He kind of represents kind of like the puppet character because he's kind of like not his own person in the other world, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, even and it kind of first... points to the mom as the, as the main antagonist. Well, yeah, even in the real world, he's just like, all right, what did the boss say? Uh-huh. She said, no, 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 no. I'm just like, well, I guess you're not going outside then. <laughs> you know, so he's like, apparently in both worlds, the mother is, is it. Yeah, I guess so. But it, it's just really weird. And I like how they, they kind of symbolize his dependence on other mother in the other world. Because mm-hmm. he's like literally attached to screens and he's like... This piano plays me. Like, <laughs> it's true. I, the dad's like normal in the real world, but in the other world, his voice is so creepy. <laughs> like it's just so ugh. Like, like, hey, Coraline, how's it going? <laughs> oh, man. That was a good little impression. I know. It's very otherworldly. It, it feels like he should be coming at you with dilated eyes and just kind of arms wide open. Hello, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Ew. Like, it, it's, it's, he's kind of, sounds like he's in a trance, but at the same time, he's just like, real, ugh, it's just like, ooh, so unsettling. And that's like the main theme in this film. Oh, yeah. Real quick, did you guys notice uh, there's like a claymation Ron Weasley in Coraline's photograph? No. You know, which is like, don't forget about me, guys. There's like the redheaded kid. It's like, Ron Weasley. <laughs> anyway. You know what I think makes this film is that it has really quality animation. Yes. Like we got, like we got it over Wallace and Gromit and we love Wallace and Gromit cause you know, the story is really funny and you know, they kind of have put in the British humor. Like this film like really made a splash. It's amazing stop motion. First of all, when I first, okay. So I first saw this film last night. I will admit I was skeptical at first cause I don't necessarily like Tim Burton and I don't want to watch it for that, but I watched it last night and I really love how much detail they put into this film, like from the hair to all the little details in people's faces and you can't really tell it's claymation, you know? Mm -hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what they did was they made 3d models of Coraline and all the characters. And then they animated in the 3d software, their facial expressions to kind of simulate it. And I think they use that as like a reference for when they did the actual claymation, you know, when they actually manipulate their faces to make facial expressions, or did they superimpose the 3D images onto their faces? Um, no, I think... Do y'all know that? No, no, yeah. The, I read that all the characters could have over 208,000 expressions. So yeah. I think they were actually real, because I think the way the, the stop motion works, and if anyone is a stop motion animator, please email us and let us know, but they... Help they us, kind of, The bottom part of the face can come off, or the eyes, and they kind of can just interchange the top and the bottom, and there's like a line on their cheeks from where like the eye piece, let's say like excited eyes or sad eyes, and then where you put the mouth. And I, I don't know how they get rid of that line. That must be in post-production. But I don't think it's superimposed CG. I think that is just the actual model. And it, it's a very good job. 
Yeah, it's like super cool how they did it. Man, I love it. Yeah, I was watching some behind the, there's some behind the scenes videos on YouTube. Of course, if you have the DVD, you need to check out the behind the scenes stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool. They weren't afraid to like make it different. Like with the lighting and stuff, it wasn't your typical like, okay, for scary, we're going to backlight or put a light at the bottom of the face. There were some parts where Coraline's just walking in shadow and they don't take her out of it. And so everything's just really cool. Like, they experiment with more realistic lighting. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going through a tunnel, so, like, my face isn't going to be lit up, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe it's just the animator in me, but I just noticed that they definitely, like, branched out and made this film really unique looking. Like, there's some part that's just spectacular. Like the, like, the mice, you know, the jumping mice doing their little circus mm-hmm. and all the freaking Scottish dogs. <laughs> there's, like, what, like, over 290 or 250 in that one scene. And uh, just a lot of scale and a lot of, like, synchronized and choreography and stuff. I just, I just thought this film took stop motion to the max, seriously. Yeah, I've, you know, even the last couple of stop motion films that I've seen, I think the ones that I've seen of Leica have been the most captivating for me. When I watched Paranorman, it was that same way. I watched it, and I was just kind of drawn in, almost hypnotizing, almost kind of like a lava lamp. Yeah. <laughs> Leica does a really good job with creating... I, I mean, I, I'm not very articulate when it comes to ex- explaining the differences between, let's say, Ardman's stop motion and Leica's. Like, I know it's different, and I know there's something different about Leica's that's really beautiful. Maybe it's it's the, the way they... I don't know. I can't even explain it, but it there is something about it that just kind of grabs you and makes you want to keep watching and get sucked in, so it's great. So I have a little side tangent. Uh, this is just relating to Leica in general. I mean, was Leica able to recreate Coraline's success with Paranorman? Because we've obviously all of us kind of really like Coraline, but you think they were able to recreate that? I think definitely, you know, Leica has had a really good following because of Coraline. Mm-hmm. You know, they developed a huge following because of it. And, you know, even us at the website, we had a, a lot of responses uh-huh. from the contests that we did. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess time will tell. Yeah. I mean, I think if I were to pick my favorite, I would pick Coraline over Paranorman right now. Yeah, I But I, I think there is a consensus out there where a lot of people like Paranorman better. So, I don't know. We shall see. Okay, first impression of Coraline. We've seen Nightmare Before Christmas, and we've seen, like, Tim Burton, and we've seen, like, other stuff that's Haunted Mansion, fun, scary. You know, like, it's not really scary, but it's like, oh, Ghosts and Goblins, but they're, like, they're fun and cute yeah or like tim burton you know we've seen tim burton and kind of funny creepy stuff but Coraline is genuinely creepy no for sure Coraline is like freaking creepy like it is there's nothing around it like it is not as light-hearted as you would think it is yeah like, you- it is cute in its own way but there's something very sinister about this movie uh parents beware uh, they're trying to sew buttons into people's eyeballs in this movie. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, man, like a kid's mouth gets sewn into a perpetual smile. And it's nuts. Like this film like has some serious issues with creepiness. Yeah. I, I love it, but um, I feel sad for the parents who took their kids to this movie in the theaters. Oh, yeah. This is not geared for the child. Yeah, definitely. 
Also, uh, a little side note, this film for me was kind of difficult to follow. Like the first couple of scenes I was kind of lost because I, I couldn't figure out like the water witch thing and I didn't quite understand what was going on. Like they kind of rushed through the whole moving process, but I didn't know if Coraline was like familiar with this place or, or anything. I, I don't know what she was doing with the whole well thing, but like once like you kind of, kind of like push through that and then the rest of the film is such a treat to watch. Definitely. So I really like the little me that they introduced at the very beginning because it kind of has that horror element. Like it freaks you out. Oh my gosh, there's a doll that looks exactly like me. You, you start thinking in your head, where did this come from? Is this a joke? What does this have to do with this? And, uh, you learn very quickly that, ah, it came from the other mother. She used dolls like this in the past to, you know, spy on kids who are very unhappy with their life and to lure them in so she can take their eyes, which is a very morbid concept in and of itself. But, you know, the fact that it's presented so innocently as a doll, which, I mean, some may disagree, people who have fears of dolls and stuff (laughs) find them not innocent, but to me, it's it's kind of a very innocent thing, like, oh, look, your friend brought this for you, and, you know, she's like, a little me? Oh. (laughs) So did y'all catch what was going on in the opening scene? So... For one, I loved it. I was like, ew, creepy mechanical hands that are making dolls. But uh, <laughs> the doll floating th- into the window at the beginning was YB's grandma's lost sister's little me. Did you follow oh, me on that? Oh, I did not catch that. I didn't catch that. Yeah, and, and then she takes the doll and she changes it to look like Coraline. Oh, so now we know who her previous victim was. Isn't that nuts? Well, her, the previous victim, it, it, it's shown she's one of the three ghost children. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But even then, like, to bring it in at such an early moment, you're just like, what? I know. You have to have been paying attention at the very beginning, and then as you're thinking in the movie, you're like, oh, my gosh, in the opening scene, that's what that was. You know, so it kind of makes you think back on earlier moments. Yeah, totally. I love stuff like that where they're like, they show you something at the beginning that you don't understand until the end, you know previously on lost (laughs) anyway oh so i mean let's talk about the obvious we've mentioned it a little bit but the juxtaposition between Coraline's real life and her other life major difference gravy train oh my gosh (laughs) i love that i want one (laughs) guys you know here comes the gravy train So it's happy. so funny. I like the camera zoom where it like zooms through the tunnel and stuff. Mm-hmm. They did a lot stops. of really cool things with zoom on this one. That's something I know, that right? I, I, I I'm always fascinated with how they do like a zoom shot. Do they do it digitally into post post production? Because with stop motion, it's not like you can just zoom in with the camera. You know, I I don't think they do. I well, they went in and through it. Yeah, well, I mean, there's that where the camera like appears to follow the train through the little chicken tunnel or whatever they've got going on yeah but you know shots where the camera is zooming in and out or that the camera's like panning and stuff do they do all that in post-production with with stop motion you are asking a non-animator i guess i'm just asking myself but i think that i think i think that's how they do it because i mean you can't just unless you stop everything you can't just zoom in with a camera yeah totally so i, I think it's all digital 
One of the scenes that I, I thought were was really cool is toward the beginning of the film, they had her coming down the stairs of her house, and the camera was behind a bush and kind of, like, followed her through the bush, and but you could still see her pass by. And mm-hmm. it was just the different angles that they used. I just... I was amazed at how they did that. And I'm just thinking, how did you do that? (laughs) Yeah. I thought that this film had made really good choices in the music. It added a lot to the intrigue. Yeah, I mean, I loved the very carefree parts where Coraline is left to wander and explore her new house. Uh, That part's really awesome. And... You know, it's it's kind of this heart music that's just kind of plucking away, you know, it reminds you of a, a music box. And um, I loved, like, I loved the Coraline song that the, you know, the dad, the fake dad sings. The <laughs> dude, other, the other dude, it's that been stuck in my head all day. Oh, that is such a good song. <laughs> you know, like lyrics, it's like, cute as a button in the eyes of everyone who ever laid their eyes on Coraline. Coraline. I mean, this movie is has so many um, lyrics and lines that are just play, uh, you know, have double meanings. Where it sounds very innocent and fun on the outside, but on the inside, it's really, especially the other parents, the, yeah, the other parents, they have... You know, everything that they say seems to be laced with this more sinister meaning. Well, it's like soupy sweet. It just kind of like goes into every crevice that they can to really try and bring her in. Because you think about this girl, in her mind, she is being totally cast aside. And so she's wanting to feel like there's some somebody wanting her there. And for her to walk in and to have somebody write a song for you, that's pretty cool. Like, you wrote <laughs> me a song? That's awesome. So it's just, yeah, like you said, it's just laced with those double meanings. It's just like, oh, that's a little too much. <laughs> yeah, I like that song. I didn't realize it was supposed to be some sort of foreshadowing until I looked on the Internet. And then I was like, well, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah. I would like a that was uh, that was the band they may be giants. Um, really, they were supposed to do like ten songs for this film, and they and they did. They all they recorded them and everything, but when they changed they changed the mood of the film to be more sinister, and so they didn't have they didn't have places for these songs that they recorded. Yeah, these upbeat things. Very interesting. I thought the music was really sweet. Like it was, it's cute and playful at first when she's like, it's more focused on Coraline, but there's some really kind of like really dark, like ambient tracks that are just like really unsettling and like creepy, but it, it makes for a very unique sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact. I was uh, previewing the soundtrack on iTunes and they had like listeners also bought and, uh, it was like court Bride soundtrack, uh, a couple horror movie soundtracks, and then, like, soundtracks for, like, Silent Hill 3 and, like, a couple of other, like, video games that are, like, based on Alice in Wonderland, but they're, like, twisted versions of it. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, well, I guess this does kind of fit in the category with the Coraline soundtrack. Just kind of real, real, like, surreal kind of scary stuff. Definitely. Definitely. Um, uh, I got to confess something. I'm actually listening to the soundtrack on Groove Shark, Shark right now while we're recording. Really? So you have your own internal soundtrack that, you, that we can't hear, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I mean, it helps me get in like the Coraline mood, you know? Yeah. Um, so, sh- so sharp, you won't feel a thing. <laughs> oh, no. <gasps> so let's go to the Pink Palace. That's kind of another. So there's the other world. There's Coraline's real world. And then, you know, the... On top of that, there's this pink palace, uh, which that plays a role. Yeah, definitely. You know, it really looks like a 150-year-old house, and I thought they did a great job with that. So 
good job, Leica. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just kind of makes you realize you, you see things on the outside, and then when you go in, because you see, you know, the way that Coraline's parents have decorated or lack thereof, and then you, when she goes into those two old hags, you know, and it, you kind of become enveloped in their world. You know, it's all about their Scotty dogs, and it's just the way they've decorated creates this mood. Um, it's just kind of got me thinking about, wow, you can really... You don't really know what people's living conditions are and all the things that just decorations can do yeah. can really change it. Because I felt like I was in just a different era kind of when I went to their house. Yeah, and it was cool how in the other world it's the same house and it's the same rooms and the same characters. You know, it's just the decorations and, like, the lighting and the colors they use. Everything just seems so more, much more warm and happy and more inviting and, and you know, and, and loving so they did a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is how just how the film is designed. But the more you, time you spend with Coraline in this other world, like you see some really cool stuff, but at the same time, it's got like this crazy side to it too. Like the garden scene was extremely trippy. <laughs> like I was like, oh, okay, so this is the drug part of the <laughs> film. <laughs> We've got like singing, dancing snapdragons, and all of a sudden the dad shows up on a mechanical praying mantis. So, what did y'all think of Bobinski and his mice and circus? His, his little micey circus. That was creepy. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm not afraid of mice at all, but I think that they should stay away from my house. And you know, people who would just invite them in kind of creep me out. <laughs> <laughs> so that you know, I didn't particularly um, mesh really well with Bobinski, but you know, I, I can have respect for him as you know. He's, <laughs> He does his thing, and I'll let him do that. <laughs> so um, I looked online, and Bobinski apparently has a medal. And you can see the medal, but the medal is apparently it's for serving in the like the cleanup operation at Chernobyl. Oh no! Yeah, so oh. that probably explains like his skin color and strange behavior. Yeah, that which I was totally really, does. We're really wondering why he had this kind of like wax blue color to his Odd. skin. <laughs> Oh, geez. Everyone else is kind of normal looking. <laughs> but Blavinsky is just like totally out there. Yeah, he had a he had a little a little mishap there, I'm sure, with some <laughs> with some extra toxic waste that just happened to be lying around. I really agree with Chelsea though. The mice they were like cute, but at the same time they were really creepy, so I couldn't like tell how I was supposed to feel about it. Yeah. It was just really cute and like quirky. But uh I thought the music was awesome. It's just like this really weird like kind of dark sounding circus music and little mice like blowing the little horn and stuff is weird. Okay. So within that, you know, there's the circus slash theater scene. I guess there's two. We talked about Babinski's and his circus. Now then there's the theater and this is in the other world, right? Yeah. The other world. Yeah. This scene was kind of interesting. First of all, uh, Scotty dog bat creatures. Yeah. That was, wasn't expecting that. That, that's later on in the film, but then in, in this part, it's like, I think they model like 250 little Scotty dogs for the theater, you know, the stage show. And uh, that's that's pretty cool. Like, I like how they all kind of move and like have their own personality independently, you know. So that's pretty good animation there. Okay, can I rant for a moment? Rant on. All right. I don't, I don't do very many rants. You'll notice that. You know, we've done mm-hmm. about 20 plus episodes here. And... I I just don't do that. I try not to. But this scene just made me upset. You know, I felt like when I watched Paranorman, 
you know, I was really nice about the fact that, you know, even though that it did have some moments where I felt like, you know, that shouldn't have been in there. That really shouldn't have been in there. Cause I just, I see little kids coming in and I just feel like that this shouldn't be presented in front of them. Um, but I, did, I was nice for that one, but I'm going to say all my nice has run out. I don't understand why they have need to quote unquote, make things more adult by putting risque things in there. You're referring to the lady, Madam Forcible, who's like totally naked, basically. Yes. Yes. And she's just <laughs> like right in front of you. And I, oh my gosh, I couldn't take it. Yeah, totally. Like Forcible's character model with clothes on was unsettling. And yeah. then they went and did this. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe they're trying to rationalize it and saying, well, because the woman is overweight, it's therefore not sexy and therefore it's okay to do it, you know, because when she, you know, unzipped her bodysuit, you know, and <laughs> went into her like skinny wear, they're both wearing like normal spandex. But seriously, I just don't understand why they feel like they have to do that. I mean, the movie was perfectly fine up until that point, And that is what for me really just just kind of showed the lack of class and I just wasn't I wasn't a fan of that moment yeah I don't think Leica ever seems to be making their films for kids I mean they like to push the envelope and kind of do these things like you just said um you know they're a bit edgier than the other studios and they sort of like to break the stereotype that animated films are for kids so I, when I thought of this, you know, it's obviously the scene is a parody of the famous painting, The Birth of Venus, but in a very gag me sort of way with yeah. this overweight woman. Uh, I think the Simpsons did it better. You know, there's the part where, you know, this happens and then Lenny says, hey, Homer, have you ever seen a naked chick in a clam riding a clam before? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, I... Me and my girlfriend were definitely uncomfortable watching that scene. And I was like, uh, okay, so this isn't a children's film. Like, was, the scene was just plain nasty and in bad taste. And I felt sorry for the parents who brought their, their young children to see this film in theaters. Like, what did they hope to gain? Like, didn't they know they were going to lose money if people were going to walk out of the theaters and demand it to get their money back for showing that, you know? Anywho. Anywho. But anyway, moving on, like... The ending of the film is really cool. Like, I love, like, the web scene. I love when she's trying to find... Well, okay, so, you know, finding the eyeballs, it kind of played out like a video game, you know? It was, like, mm -hmm. in stages, right? Exactly. That's how I... And then I, I went the on, then I went online, and uh, the same year they released just, like, this crummy, generic Wii video game for <laughs> Coraline. And it was painful to watch on YouTube. I was like, this is horrible. I could do this. You know, not that my animation work is horrible, but... It's just really amateur, and it's just like, we made this video game because you have to when you release a film, which you don't really have to. Yeah. The Transformers movie video game sucked. I know, and but so it's did... just an easy way to make some money, even if it's a crappy video game. I know, because you know there are parents out there who, who who don't screen their video games, and they're just like, here, you like this movie, how about the game? <laughs> But anyway, but I like the end where, uh, you know, towards, not even the end, but, you know, towards the, the later half of the film when she's trying to find the eyeballs and the moon is slowly being eclipsed by this button. Yes. And it's really creepy. Like, I thought that was super cool. Um, so I just have one last conundrum. Like, why is it the cat who's the one who kind of spill the, spills the beans to Coraline and finally gets her to clue in on what's happening? Is there significance why this cat was, was you know, kind of the voice of reason? 
Yeah, seriously, they like advertise this cat as like her companion, but he really isn't. He's just kind of like a Cheshire cat kind of guy. Uh-huh. He's a very sultry voice. Yeah, he does. <laughs> so I don't know. I th- I think he was just kind of like a real world reference. Like he's another traveler between the two worlds. Yeah. Because he said that he just kind of comes and goes as he pleases in- through the two worlds. But uh, yeah, it's just very strange. So because he like helps he like helps Coraline out. So the two worlds are real. Or is one of these in her imagination? Dude, I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> obviously, obviously there's similarities between her life and it might reflect her consciousness. But I think it's all based on the creation that the other mother made. You know, because she's been spying on Coraline through the doll. So I don't know. It's just kind of this weird thing. Because the whole thing with Alice in Wonderland is that you know, and, and Coraline has been compared to Alice a lot, you know, this kind of surreal alternate reality that she gets thrust into. Um, Alice in Wonderland, you know, Wonderland is just Alice's imagination. Mm-hmm. And it's just people from her, her real world, you know, who are turned into these kind of grotesque things that kind of help her figure things out. That's because Alice is nuts, you know. <laughs> For anyone who's played American McGee's Alice, you know, the computer game or, or uh, the sequel that came out on PlayStation 3, I believe, she's like nuts. Like she like, I think she burned her house down and she's like trying to work through everything. That's why she made up. I don't know. There's all these kind of weird kind of Alice in Wonderland theories out there, but I think the other world is real. And I have a theory about this movie that we'll talk about later that might, might shed some light on that. One thing that I, I noticed in Paranorman, it was very blatant. The theme of that movie, you know, at the very end you know, the climax, you know, they kind of just throw it at you. But one thing I really enjoyed about this movie is that throughout the entire thing, I couldn't quite put my finger on what the theme was, but they did a good job of drawing it out of you. And for me, what I got out of it was, you know, it's kind of a a theme of selfishness, self-centeredness, you know, and how everyone is out for themselves. Things that are used solely to gratify yourself are flimsy and fall apart compared to doing things for others. I really like how they just kind of drew that out. And for me, that's kind of what I, what I ended up with. Was there, did you guys think that there was anything for the button eyes? Like any meaning behind that? Yeah. Uh, I have a couple ideas about that. To me, the button eyes represent like dolls and stuff. So a doll is a thing to be manipulated it kind of represents that whatever evil is controlling that other world, it is absorbing other people to use them as her pawns and like slaves. Mm, I like that. And so I know other mother slash uh, Beldem or whatever her name is, is in control, but it, it might, she might not, might not be the ultimate personification or form of, of that evil, you know? Yeah. And so the dolls and the fact they want, you know, have Coraline conform to that, you know, it shows that they want her to give up her freedom, you know, or her her agency, if you will, and uh, and kind of give all that up and kind of submit to this control. Yeah, the theme of sewing and buttons definitely is throughout the whole film. I, I like that comparison, how you're talking about how it it's from turning them from a living, breathing thing to a doll and an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Totally, because look how other father is like her puppet, and it, it becomes more obvious, you know, totally obvious in the in the last half of the film. Yeah. And then you've got this kind of web, you know, spinning motif. 
you know, it's, it's a great symbol of, of deceit, you know, the spider. Mm-hmm. And Other Mother becomes more, you know, arachnid-like toward, you know, towards the end of the film. And, you know, it becomes more obvious when she turns into this uh, spider monster and stuff. So it's definitely that theme of, like, the sewing and the buttons and that kind of, like, that life where you want everything to be perfect through selfishness and, it's, and it just doesn't work. Cool. Definitely. I also notice there's kind of, like, a little bit of pride thing going on with Coraline because she definitely does not want to adjust her surroundings. Like, she kind of does, but she's still kind of pouting. Kind of like, uh, what is her name, Ishiro? Oh, yeah. And spirited away. Yeah. And, you know, she'll always be at odds with her neighbors and her surrounding people until she reaches out to them. And um, when she throws the, the garden party at the end, you know, she's kind of accepting and accepted by everyone else. Yeah. So I got a lot. I think of, it was kind of that relationship, too. Yeah, I've got a lot of similarities on our discussion from spirit away to kind of what our discussion is about here as well. As I was thinking through about my thoughts on the movie, that's kind of one of the movies that really came to my mind is the sim- a lot of the similarities from Spirited Away. Yeah, seriously. Okay, so anyway, so I got this theory about the movie. Do you guys want to hear something really freaky that I figured out? Yes. I think I figured out. Okay, so they zoom out, and, you know, she's at the garden party, and, and everything's okay now. But is it really a happy ending? I think it might not be. Listen up. So a few details from the, the end of the film it actually causes me to believe that things are not as they seem at the film's, you know, ending, if you will. So the garden in the other world is in the shape of Coraline's face, right? Uh-huh. In the last scene, they zoom out. It's actually more in the shape of other mother's face. Really? Yeah. I didn't I was notice like, that. I was like, "Oh, it's Coraline at the end." And then I and then um, hooked up on the line, and it's apparently other mother's face and not Coraline's. Huh. And then and then there's the part at the end of the movie where you see the moon and there's clouds moving away from the moon, and the clouds are in the shapes of um, Bellum or other mother's hands. You know those spidery mechanical hands. Yeah. Okay, number three, the cat also still has his, like, weird, like, teleportation powers. Yeah, that was weird. In the real world in the last scene. Okay, so that could mean either two things. Either the physics of the other world have creeped into the real world, or the cat was magical all along. And he's this kind of, like, dimensional traveler. I think that's the more of the more of the one. Because when he says at the beginning, he talks about how he's a stray cat. Nobody really knows where he comes from. And then also the fact that, you know, while she's in the real world, she can talk to him and he can talk to her. And he's like trying he to like get her to stop. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, remember, as she's leaving, trying to get rid of the key, the cat like runs in front of her and was like, no, don't do it. And you're just thinking, what? Like, I wonder if he's trying to tell us something of like, you know, something else is going to come. Yeah, totally. So she gets attacked by the other mother's hand, you know, spider thing that breaks into the real world. And she throws it along with the key to the door down the well, right? Right. So that was just so unsettling to me. Like, I I, I wasn't satisfied with that ending. So it's like, okay, you threw it down a well. Like, well, they never explained the well stopping, either. They never explained the well either, except that it's supposed to be really deep. What's stopping the hand from just crawling back up with the key? It makes me want to think that all that just made it easier for the hand to go back to the other world and thus let uh, you know other mother invade the real world. 
so the ending might not as be as hunky dory as we think, but they didn't really they didn't really make it obvious. So I, I guess it's just an unofficial theory. No, I'll take that. <laughs> one of Mason's what, many. <laughs> one, you know, one of my. This is just one of my theories. But what do you all think about that? I agree that they definitely left it very creepy at the end. Like they they started it out creepy and they're going to end it creepy. Like it's just they're never going to let go of the thriller. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone have some last minute quotes they want to throw out there? I do. I, one of my favorite was <laughs> what's shaking, baby. <laughs> that one was good. But also, uh, right when she meets Wybie, he's like, so let me guess you're from Texas or Utah, somewhere dried out and barren. You think Arizona would be the very obvious choice for that. You would think so. <laughs> yeah. But instead, you know, it's all over Mason. Sorry. Uh, I like the part she says, and I don't like being stalked, not by psycho nerds and their cats. <laughs> Anyways, those are just a few quotes. We also, before we recorded, we tweeted and Facebooked and tumbled uh, a, a listener question. And the listener question was, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you rate Coraline on the creepiness scale and why? And so here's a few of the responses we got. Uh, Taylor T said, I'd say a 7 because if a demonized version of either of my parents, they would freak me out to no end. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, the NMX podcast says they give it a 7, but in a good way, smiley face. So that's good. And one last one is from Les Foilies. I'm sure I'm butchering some sort of French name. Uh, this is a Tumblr user. says, Four, the book was much darker than the film. It was a surprise to see how they leaned more towards making things fantastical rather than frightening visually in the characters and final conflict scene. Interesting. So that's oh. an interesting uh, feedback and comment from somebody who's actually read the book who says, okay, yeah, based uh, on the uh, book, totally. this is, you know, child's play. While for us, we're like, oh, yeah, it's pretty creepy. I'd, I'd say it's about a six or a seven. On It's not totally scary. No. It, maybe a six. It's But it does have its elements. Yeah. So what do you guys rate it out of five stars? Zero being the absolute worst movie you've ever seen. It doesn't even warrant any stars. And uh, five <laughs> being the absolute best. I guess I'll go first since I kind of showed my, my colors <laughs> as far as <laughs> what I thought. I would give it a three. And mostly just because of that one scene. If they would have taken that scene out, it probably would have jumped up to at least a 3.5, maybe even possibly a 4. But, you know, that scene really just really just pushed my buttons the wrong way. And uh, But otherwise, you know, they've, it's got some really great themes. I just I enjoyed the movie other than that. Yeah, I wish I could, like, totally forgive the movie for that, like, totally disgusting birth of venus scene <laughs> but um so i'm well i'm gonna give it a four star rating but only for adult audiences like i don't want to make it sound like this adult movie but um <laughs> kids kids should not watch this film uh maybe like older teenagers and beyond but um i can't overlook the fact that this film is just like totally unique it has crazy cool music and amazing visuals and it's just, like, really good, scary, creepy entertainment. So, uh, yeah, I give it a four-star rating. Okay. And everyone knows that one of my main uh, factors when I'm rating something is replay value. And I think Coraline has wonderful replay value for me. Uh, if people wanted to pop it in, you know, a few months, a few, even a few weeks after I've seen it, i definitely watch it again. I really love the characters and the story. So props to the original story where this came from. And... 
you know, Coraline is a, is a fun, quirky character. And then it just takes you into this new world, which we hadn't really seen before in any other movie or film where, you know, buttons being sewn into eyes and, and these other parents. And I just think they did. It's just so fantastical, I guess, in a way and, and semi creepy. Um, so I'm going to give it four stars. It really isn't more than that to me, but it's pretty like solid four stars. Decent to me. Yeah, totally. I mean, it is a good film. Just, uh, you know, your six-year-old kid should not be watching this. Not at all. rotoscopers.com so you can also find us on Twitter Facebook and Tumblr also Instagram so just just type in the rotoscopers at either of those places you'll find us you can find me Morgan Stradling at Twitter Morgan Stradling you can find Chelsea on Twitter Chelsea Robson and you can also find her at facebook.com backslash this is Chelsea Robson and lastly Mason you can find him on his blog his wonderful blog he just had an interview with one of the animators on Beauty and the Beast and his blog is thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. So thanks again, everybody, for your support, for your emails, for your tweets. You know, we love interacting with our fans and kind of creating this little community of rotoscopers. I mean, you're, everyone is honorary rotoscopers to us. And yeah. Thanks again, you guys. Make sure to check us out. This is the Animation Addicts Podcast, and we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. rotoscopers. It's trick or treat. <laughs> no tangents, guys. Oh, what is that noise? What is that? Oh, I have a yo-yo. <laughs> that, makes, that makes noises when you do it. <gasps> Fantastic. A yo-yo. I was a yo-yo. <laughs> was. Was. <laughs> Grooving. All right. On sounds a cool. Sunday afternoon. All right, see you guys later. Bye. Bye, Mason. Bye-bye. Yibbidi-yibbidi, that's all, folks.